Well, in 2009, Daniel Gilbert, a psychology professor at Harvard University, wrote an article entitled, What You Don't Know Makes You Nervous. In his article, Gilbert drew from the Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index and stated from that index that it showed that Americans were smiling less and worried more. That happiness was down and sadness was up. That Americans were getting less sleep but smoking more cigarettes and that depression was on the rise. Now, 2009 was a challenging year for this country and the world, but the full extent of things hadn't fully hit. And so you might ask, well, how come the logical things would be stress from work or unemployment, maybe even relational issues or financial problems? But that was not, in fact, the case. The reason for greater worry and sadness and insomnia and depression was In a single word, uncertainty. People didn't know what was going to happen next. What will tomorrow hold? Have you ever been anxious and worried about such things? Had a hard time sleeping at night because of tomorrow or the next day? A Dutch study showed something very similar In this experiment, two groups were studied. In the first, they were told they would be intensely shocked 20 times. Who signs up for these things? I don't know. The researchers then told a second group that they would receive three intense shocks and 17 mild shocks. But they didn't know when those three intense ones would come. And the results... The subjects in the second group perspired more and experienced faster heart rates because they weren't exactly when it would come. Again, the cause cited uncertainty. They didn't know when the shock would come next. So let me ask you, church family, with the shocks of life, Do you find yourself weighed down with fear or with worry as we approach another year? Are you in any way apprehensive, anxious, uneasy? What does 2017 hold for you and your family? Will your problems come to a resolution this year or will things simply unravel further in ways that perhaps you haven't even anticipated? Now, as I stated before, 2009 was a significant financial storm in this country. But tonight at midnight, as we enter 2017, I imagine many here in this room this morning are experiencing various storms of various degree in various areas of your life. And I imagine there are certain levels of uncertainty. And so if you brought your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me. To Matthew chapter 6, that was my daughter Lauren that did such a fine job with our scripture reading. And so here in Matthew chapter 6, we have Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, his first true discourse, if you will, as he enters his ministry. 
And so Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, we read, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, again, do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's some good advice there as we enter into the new year. Don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And trust that God knows what you need and will provide it to you. And all these things will be added, it says in the verse. Now, that's easier said than done. I could tell you another 20 times, don't worry. But I'd be worried you'd be worrying. Now, this section of the Sermon on the Mount continues and Jesus continues to preach through chapter seven. But when we get into chapter eight, we see Jesus himself not just speak it, but live it. That's when it becomes challenging, doesn't it? And so if you turn, if you have your Bible still open, turn to Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. A short little story here that I know you're also familiar with. Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. And we read. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. So the boat was covered with the waves But he was what? Asleep. Jesus slept on a pillow in the midst of a raging storm. How could he? The terrified disciples were sure that the next wave was going to come over their boat and sink them and send them plunging to the bottom. And while they're shaking with fear, they're trying to rebuke Jesus and wake him up and saying, where are you? Did he not care about their situation? How could Jesus be so careless about their fate? 
Well, he could sleep because of that calm assurance that his father was in control. In the midst of the storm, he slept. Jesus had what you might call a quiet heart. We see him calmly through all the events of his life. When he was despised, he didn't despise in return. When he knew that he would suffer many things and be killed in Jerusalem, he never deviated from his course. He sat at supper with one who would deny him and another that would betray him. Yet he was able to eat with them, willing even to wash their feet. Jesus, in the unwavering intimacy of his father's love, kept a quiet heart. Yet, that is where our stress and worry and anxiety creep in. In the simple fact that we don't have the same unwavering intimacy and trust in the father's love that Jesus had. Yet it's just as readily available to us today. But in the storms of life, we're more or we're better at panicking, reciting to everyone we know. Yet Jesus was fully aligned with that of his heavenly father. He could be free from care, in fact. Why? He didn't have to take all of life's cares or worries, but could rest knowing that his father was attentive to all his needs. He was going to focus first on his father and knowing all the rest would be added unto him. Jesus knew when to take action and he knew when to leave things up to the father. He taught us to work and watch, but never to worry. To be gladly doing whatever he was given to do and to leave all else and all results up to the Father. In fact, Jesus' most singular purpose in life. We read about it in John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, in John six thirty eight, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The son willed only one thing. The will of his father, nothing else. Psalm 16, verse 5 says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion, David writes, and my cup and have made my lot secure. Lord, you have assigned me my portion. There's no greater simplifier for all of life. Whatever happens is assigned. But our intellect box at that, doesn't it? Can we really say that there are things which happen to us that don't belong to those things assigned or our portion? I mean, this belongs to it, but certainly that does not. Are some things then out of control of the Almighty? Now, while I don't believe God causes bad things to come to us, he allows it. Why? Because every assignment is measured and controlled by my, for my eternal good. And as I accept 
the given portion, all other options are canceled. Decisions become much easier. Directions clear. And as a result, my heart becomes inexpressibly quieter because I'm no longer in charge. I'm no longer having to figure this out. I'm simply accepting the lot God has given to me. I'm doing my best, but I'm simply looking to the Father for direction. Ministry of Healing 489 says this. He who is imbued with the spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Nothing can touch him except by the Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations. In short, all things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. So the real question is. What do we want in life? And if you have asked that question to some high school students or some college students, very few have a ready answer. Or they come up with a list of things. But is there one thing above everything else that they desire? David writes in the Psalm, verse 27, chapter 27, verse 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life? The rich young ruler who wanted eternal life to him, Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything. In the parable of the sower, Jesus tells us that the seed which is choked by thorns has fallen into a heart full of worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. But the Apostle Paul brings us back, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do. Friends, a quiet heart like Jesus is content with what God gives. It's enough. There's a simple prayer I'm learning to pray every morning. I know many here pray the same. You find it in Steps to Christ, page 70. It's in five parts the way I've split it up. Take me, O Lord, as wholly thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me. And let all my work be wrought in thee. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? That's a prayer of full surrender, isn't it? I surrender my life, my plans to be used in your service. But I can only do it as you abide in me. And that everything that I do will be done in your strength and your power. That's the prayer. It goes on to say in the same spot, this is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. 
Thus, day by day, you may be giving your life into the hands of God. And here's the point. Thus, your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. Lord, I want your character. I want you to direct every part of my life. Everything that has to do with my schedule today is yours. And you direct it as you see fit. Because I want to do your will. That's the one thing. The one thing I desire is to please you and to live with you forever. So you do whatever you have to do with me and with those around me and with my circumstances, with my job. You do it. And I'll follow. Have you ever gone to work where you're trying to do something at home, wherever you are, and your computer freezes up? Doesn't work. That document that you've been working on for a long time disappears, vanishes. That doesn't happen to me as much as it used to. I think there's more auto saves or something, but there are still times that it won't work. And I need to send this. I need to do that. And it won't work. My time is interrupted and my time is slipping away and I can get anxious and upset and frustrated. Mothers, have you ever been anxious to get out the door for some appointment? Maybe it's a piano lesson, a doctor's appointment, and an elbow, maybe if one of your small children catches a dish and sends it crashing, making a huge mess all over the kitchen. It's in those moments that I remember this may not be part of my plan, but it's part of his plan. Lord, you assign me my portion and my cup. I guess I need to learn more patience today. All is under the control of my father. Yes, even faulty computers and childish accidents. This last summer, the van was loaded up. We were headed to Bering Springs, Michigan for class. And uh, we had the car top carrier on the top. We had bikes on the back and all the things that we would need for the next several weeks. And as we were riding up along those roads out of Asheville, up north, the van, every time it started to shift, it would go. Isn't that pretty close? To... This isn't sounding good, especially between certain speeds. Right after you cross about 68, 69. Oh boy. Sounds like it's transmission. We're right about halfway up there. Pull over, check the levels. I'm hoping maybe, just possibly, the transmission fluid is low and we can replace it or there's a hole or something. What can we. That's what the guys do. They lift up the hood and then they say, okay, what can we do here? Well, let's make sure. Yeah, that's still on. Tweak this. Yeah, pretty well exhausted that. So we say a prayer. Many prayers. And every time I found myself getting worried or anxious, I had class that first night, 7 o'clock in the evening. I said, Lord, this is your car. This is your transmission. This is your class to better equip your student to be more effective in your purposes so whatever happens, it's, it's just up to you, Lord. My portion, my cup, my lot is secure. My heart can be at peace because my father's in charge. It's that simple. Now, the Lord provided that we made it all the way up to Michigan. Barely. 
And we took it in, and, and when they actually drained the transmission fluid, they said it was silver for all the metal that was there in the fluid. They said, yeah, it's shot. You're not going anywhere. And from the day we got there to the day we left, it was in the shop. But we had our bikes, so we just rode around campus. <clears throat> the six little ducklings. But my assignment includes my willing acceptance of my portion. And this goes far beyond the trivial things like I just mentioned. This applies to the loss of a loved one. A spouse, a child, a grave diagnosis of you or someone you love. Yet in the storms of life. We can rest in the fact that God's eternal love is wiser than we. And we bow in adoration of that loving wisdom. Ultimately, it's our response that matters. When we don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, when the road is painful or difficult and seems endless, how will we respond? You remember the children of Israel, right? Guided by a pillar of cloud, all passed through the Red Sea, all ate the manna, all led by God's prophet Moses. But God was not pleased with all of them because their response was all wrong. They were bitter about the portions they were allotted. They indulged in idolatry and gluttony and sexual sin. Yet in their stubborn pride, they virtually all died in the wilderness from snakes or destroyed by an angel or simply old age. Because their response was all wrong. The same almighty God appointed their experience. And all events serve his will. Some responded in faith. But most did not. Remember that nagging verse in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation. Has overtaken you. Except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. My challenge to you is to think of that promise. And like Jesus, keep a quiet heart. Desire of Ages 329 and 330 says worry is blind. It can't discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing Not far from that quotation. She writes, the heavier your burdens, the more blessed the rest in casting them upon the burden bearer. Isn't that good news? But the reality is our enemy delights in disquieting us. For us to be worried about our job, to be worried about our children, to be worried about the church and the shaking we see all around us in our denomination is people turn their backs on pillars of the faith and we worry. Yes, the enemy delights in disquieting us. 
But our Savior and our Helper delights in doing just the opposite, in quieting us down. Isaiah 66, 13, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Another favorite, Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So as we enter 2017, the choice is ours. Are you willing to see everything in God in the context of his will and receive from his hand to accept with gratitude? The portion that he offers. Or shall I charge him with a mistake in his measurements? Shall I charge him with misjudging the sphere in which I can best learn to trust him? Has he misplaced me? Is he ignorant of things or people which, in my view, hinder my doing his will? No, I believe God knows best what each of us need individually. And what situations will craft and carve and mold and shape our character for my and your ultimate good. God came down and lived in this same world as a man. He showed us how to live in this world, subject to all his cruelties and necessities that we might be left alone or changed. Changed. Not into an angel or a storybook princess to be swooped away to a perfect world, but to be changed into men and women of his likeness and his character that honor and glorify him. Now, the secret of it all is Christ in me. Not me in a different set of circumstances. Immediately after World War II, the Allied armies gathered up many hungry, homeless children and placed them in large camps. There the children were abundantly fed and cared for the best that they could. But these children had been through so much, had seen so much, that every night, Even though they were well fed and taken care of and had enough blankets and clothing, every night these kids wouldn't go to sleep. They were restless. They were afraid. Finally, a psychologist hit on a solution. After the children went to bed, they each received a slice of bread to hold. Just a piece of bread. If they wanted more to eat, it was provided and they would get another one. But they wanted every child to go to bed with a slice of bread. And it had marvelous results. The children would go to sleep subconsciously feeling they would have something to eat tomorrow. That assurance, that single piece of bread allowed the child to calm down, to be peaceful enough to sleep and to rest. In the 23rd Psalm, David points out something of the same feeling in the sheep when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Instinctively, the sheep knows the shepherd has made plans for his grazing tomorrow. He knows the shepherd made ample provision for it today, so he'll probably do the same again tomorrow. So the sheep lays down in its fold with, in a figurative sense, the piece of bread in its hand. 
So my question for you this morning, is the Lord your shepherd? If so, you shall never be in want. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray as we go into a new year that you will take away our worry and our anxiety, our doubts and our fears, because you are looking out for our best interest. You are longing to refine us, to change us into your likeness, that we may reflect and honor and glorify you. And we want to surrender and submit to your plans and your purposes for that one singular goal, that we may live with you for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.